Welcome to the RPG Podcast. And we are live. Oh, God, Pat! Presented by Sheep. A Time Wheel Production. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Robert Patton Global Podcast. I'm here today with another legend, uh, Michael Heiss. He is the founder and chair of the Mises Caucus and the Libertarian Party, which I just joined. Thank you for uh, joining me here today. Thanks for joining the Libertarian Party, man. That's awesome. Yeah, I feel like the other two parties are both kind of the same, and they're both a little in it for the money and i feel like the libertarian movement is headed it's just trying to push things in the other direction on the pendulum swing just get things back to normal a little bit or fair what do you think i mean i think the 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 elevator pitch for the libertarians is that we want we want you to be free and we want uh we want you to be left alone (laughs) you know that uh, so long as you're not hurting anybody, you know, you're not violating people's property, you're not you're not defrauding them, you're not committing violence against them. That uh, generally speaking, you should be you should be left alone to uh, to run your life, and only you know how to run your life, and and not the government. Um, and uh, you know, I think that's a pretty simple message, and I think it's a message that resonates with the with our history and our culture uh, as the founding of our country. Yes. Um, and, um, you know, I think there's a lot of noise right now, you know, between the media and social media and all of that to kind of amp people up algorithmically and get them get them against each other and all of this sort of thing. But, um, you know, I like to think that people deep down believe this and um, are more or less just being held mutually hostage by these two parties. Yeah. Yeah. Because you have to pick one or the other. And it is I mean, this is so the Libertarian Party is sort of like a mini nonviolent revolution against the power of you know the united states government which you know we might still live in the best country in the world maybe i wouldn't know i've never lived anywhere else but you know it's just it's gotten the the corruption is so blatant and obvious (laughs) we need some checks and balances or something yeah the corruption has gotten out of control and um you know, when you buy when you buy a Corvette on credit, things look pretty good, you know, um, yeah. but but eventually those interest payments build up and the, the, the bills come due. And, you know, then maybe the whole situation is laid bare and with the bank failures and the increased inflation and, um, you know, the, the Federal Reserve is basically out of bullets. Not that they ever really had a gun to begin with. Um, they, they can't they can only intervene in the market and, and distort it. But um you know, I, I think people are realizing or, or at least feeling um, that they're they're out of bullets. You know, if they if they lower interest rates to, you know, quote unquote, generate stimulus, um, you know, that wasn't that that's the cause of a lot of the inflation because they held interest rates at, you know, zero or near zero for like yeah. 10 years. Um, you know, and, and, you know, maybe our grandparents understand this a little bit better than us because they they went through. um I think the interest rates went as high as like 18 or 20 percent in the 70s uh, with when Paul Volcker was was in the Federal Reserve. And that's what has to happen uh, for any. I mean, really, the Federal Reserve shouldn't exist. But for any semblance you know, of sanity to come back, the interest rates are going to have to go way higher than what they are now, which is going to really cause a lot of short term pain in loans and business development that sort of thing. And, um, you know, they're not they don't appear to be willing to do that. They're doing these kind of incremental changes. Well, if it hit 
18% in the 70s, you know, our debt to GDP ratio is way more out of control now. Our unfunded liabilities are way more out of control now. So there's really no telling how high it would have to go to really, you know, reset things. Yeah, there's no money to pay the debt. And the and the Corvette is falling apart, so to speak, metaphorically. Exactly. Took out this loan on this sweet car, and the whole system is falling apart. Nobody wants to work. We don't have any manufacturing in America. I mean, very limited, anyways. And that's how you know goods and services is how you're going to pay off this debt. And we're there's like the structure is <laughs> seemingly dwindling. I just watched this uh, South Park episode last night. They've been having some really sweet episodes, but it's like nobody wants to work. Everybody needs a mental health day. And uh, it's like like back in the 70s, and I guess people were willing to work to for the country almost. I just saw a chart of something like this. I mean, it was on social media, and I don't know the source, but um, the chart was something like um, it was it was marking several metrics going back to the 70s of like 18 year olds or 19 year olds upwards of like 19 year olds, um, you know, ever worked a job for pay. And it was like between 80 and 90 percent in the 70s. And it's just been kind of going downward ever since with it really starting to go down um, in the, after year 2000 to where you're at like 60 or 65 percent of, of uh, modern 18 or 19 year olds who have ever worked a job or. You know, they had tried alcohol on there. I don't I don't know that that's a good indicator, but um, <laughs> um, or like went on a date, you know, or like all of these kind of things. And it's all just like plummeting. Yeah. You know? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that it shows the direction of society when people haven't even really been on dates. And I, I, I everybody got super comfortable during the pandemic, I guess. And and. I don't need to work, you know? Yeah. The paradigm of work has definitely changed with the gig economy, with the remote working stuff, you know? And I think there's a lot of people who were, you know, when you're remote working, you're probably not going to be nearly as accountable as you are in the in the office space environment and that kind of thing. Um, you know, I think that's a big problem. But I also think that fundamentally, all the problems that we have, we we look at them as if they're actually political problems. And I think they're not. Um, they're, they're not actually political problems. They're, they're, they're psychological problems, essentially. Um, we, we have created such an opulence from our debt that uh, we, we are delaying childhood. You know, like we are massively delaying, or I'm sorry, delaying adulthood, I should yes. say. Um, yes. um, and, and I think that's, um, you can see that in all different kind of markers of like the average age of having children, um, you know, 18 year olds never having having never had a job you know i mean i got a job for my 15th birthday and i was super bummed that I, when i was 14 that i couldn't get a job you know um yeah get that and, extra cash. Uh, yeah, yeah I, I worked I, I worked uh washing dishes at a diner you know with a bunch yeah. of peruvians i did i worked at uh mcdonald's you know and i think that was my first job i was flipping burgers in the back the floors were so greasy you'd slide around on the back but i got some extra cash that was right before i started selling weed and then i quit nice. my job at mcdonald's but um you know i was always hustling i had that kind of wanting to provide or have a better life mentality and i think 
we just need an ins like inspirational voices, like maybe Jordan Peterson. Love Jordan a, Peterson. Yeah, like a movement. I got a maps of meaning right here, actually. Nice. Yeah. See, um, he is a legend, another legend. But I'm reading this book on Benjamin Franklin, the biography by Walter Isaacson, and you know they took it like you know the the stamp tax. They they didn't want to be taxed without representation, and um, they weren't getting representation in the British Parliament, and they were just being taken advantage of. They wouldn't even let us manufacture here because they wanted to produce all the goods in England and sell them to the frontier men, and uh, so they, they we had all these limitations, and I think just like work the the foundation of the american revolution was we just want to work and provide for ourselves but that whole philosophy psychology is has gotten lost well this is this is something for us to untangle um and i think this is equal parts good and bad um there is a huge revolt in as in in especially young culture against corporations and and corporate culture uh, and, and the kind of the corporatization of, of America. And I think the, the culture that you're talking about, where it's kind of, you know, you go out, you work, you bring your family up, you make your own way, that's capitalism. But what we have now in any realistic sense is corporatism. You yeah. know, we don't, we don't have that. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's much harder these days to, to start a business than it was in the days that you're talking about, or really all the way up through, um, you know, kind of the mid 1900s. And, um, uh, you know, right now everything is run by corporations. The corporations write laws for the the government. The government sells their power to the corporations. They hire the corporations. The corporations lobbyists. It's this revolving door, yes. um, and you basically can't tell the difference between you know the the government crime family and the corporate crime family. Um, and and, <laughs> and married. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's and that is what, in the economic sense, anyway, that is what fascism is. You know, Ooh. it's it's the merger. It's the merger of of corporate of corporations and and. Uh, the state so we don't have a free market we have corporations that are strangling the free market so that everything is tilted in their favor when they write the law and buy the power off of a willingly uh, off a government that's very willing to sell it to them yes i was gonna yeah i got all like i was literally gonna ask you what the definition of fascism i i speak to young the younger generation pretty frequently and and man then you just see it on television or whatever fascists and this and that and i'm like what exactly is a fascist there's, there's multiple ways to look at it. i mean the economic side of it is is the merger of corporations and and government and if you want to kind of isolate that element of it you could call it corporatism mm -hmm. or at least that's what uh ludwig von mises called it um you know but there's other more like political elements of fascism like the, the hyper nationalism and you know the authoritarianism and all of that but um you know they did have um private ownership of of the means of production in name only <laughs> you know like and you know uh yeah, favoring private. corporations yeah right exactly when they're in bed with the government who's writing the laws to help them like for instance the pharmaceutical or the ma weapons manufacturing i mean, i you know those are the ones that come to mind when it comes to like being in bed with the government and getting laws written in their favor to continue their reign that they've had for however long. Um, you mentioned Ludwig von Mises, which is 
the name of the guy that the party is like named after. Well, the, the caucus. Caucus. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. We took over the party, but we are a separate entity from the party. Our friends took over the party, I should say. We all, all of our endorsed candidates are the leadership of the uh, of the Libertarian Party. Yeah, and you got a sweet hoodie, the Mises hoodie. But so I just noticed that. Where where do you get that? Where do you get that hoodie? Um, MisesMerch.com. So we got we got several designs there. Okay, a Mises. I'm gonna because I want to. I love a hoodie. I live in Colorado, and yeah, basically what I live in. Um, got a little sidetracked there. How, like, how did you get started in this whole endeavor? Well, I'm I'm 33 years old, and and I've been involved in what you what we would call the broader liberty movement since I was about. I mean, I would say about 18 years old. I, I mean technically maybe 14 years old, but that I wouldn't call that the Liberty movement. I, I kind of, um, when I was like 14 years old, I got into Alex Jones and Infowars and like nine yes. 11 truth and stuff like that. Yes. And, um, you know, people forget, like I'm still young, but that was almost 20 years ago now. And, and it was a very different world 20 years ago. <laughs> like, um, you know, the internet was not at all what it is now. Um, and, um, you know, you have access to a lot more information and a much more, uh, diverse, types of information now. So when I was 14 years old and coming into 9-11 Truth and coming into InfoWars and Alex Jones's documentaries and stuff like that, you know, I, I had my mind blown at an early age, but I also suspect that, um, you know, because I started immediately taking it to school with me. I didn't realize that this stuff was going to be a problem. Like, it just was like, wow, that's that's some wild information. Um, and I and I suspect that that's because, you know, when you're 14, what life experience do you have? What 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 identity have you built up over the course of your life to be like shattered from this information? You know what I mean? And and um, so I think I'm lucky in that sense. But, um, you know, I basically was being told from from my peers that like I'm crazy. You know what I mean? And I'm like, I don't think so. So I just kind of would double down and keep keep researching and all of that stuff until I became something more of an advocate um, and then I, you know, started seeing Ron Paul through, through Infowars channels and, mm -hmm. um, you know, it became a thing and, and, and I was on the sidelines. Like at this point, again, the internet was very different. Like we didn't know anybody. We were totally isolated back then. Um, and, uh, so, you know, we saw the Ron Paul thing and kind of cheered it on from the sidelines. And that's when I started getting more and more interested in actual libertarianism. And then, uh, you know, started doing some street activism and by the time 2011, 2012 came when Ron Paul was going to run again, uh, me and my you know small circle of friends that were really into this decided that like we have to get involved this time. Nice, you know. So we um, essentially what we did, we didn't know what to do. You know what I mean? So like essentially what we did is we we would like go out behind Kmart or Sears and stuff like that, steal cardboard boxes from them. Uh, paint infowars.com on them or like end the Fed on them and like literally uh, nail them yeah. to trees and stuff. Nice. Uh, around around the neighborhood and it got to the point where my buddy had grabbed um like three pieces of uh four by eight pieces of plywood and like behind our house is like uh the the highway around ran parallel with the road that we ran uh lived on so we went to the top of the hill where the highway was and then had these three big signs for like infowars.com and uh well it turns out a, a guy named keith uh, his parents were tax protesters and libertarians. They supported Ron Paul in 1988. Uh, he was driving his work truck, saw these signs, and got off at the next exit, started driving up the road that ran, where we lived that ran parallel, and then said, you know what? 
I'm willing to bet the guy with the huge garden out front is who did that. And sure enough, that was my buddy Kyle's house. And Keith, like Morpheus in the Matrix, basically pulled us out into this underground world. And and I haven't looked back since. Whoa. Yeah, that's wild. When you mentioned the like 9-11 truthers, Alex Jones, I joined the army uh, under the guys that, you know, Iraq had weapons of mass destruction. Mm-hmm. We were attacked by these people. And I, my friend just sent me an, a video 22 years later of the Pentagon attack. And it's like, sl- you know, slow motion. And you can tell it's not a fucking plane. Oh, yeah. So like they, It's like four frames and that's all they ever yeah. uh, released or six frames or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like... You lied to me once, shame on you. You lied to me again, shame on me, or whatever, if I fall for it. So now, I don't believe anything that they say, which is, that's kind of not a positive way to live in a society, but maybe just, you know, you got to protect yourself and, and question everything, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And so that that's how we kind of got involved in the liberty movement itself. And um, and uh, yeah, that's when I got really into libertarianism and, and Austrian economics and this kind of thing. And, uh, you know, just when I found like at the time, you know, I was really, really depressed at the time, you know, having being depressed and, and waking up at a young age and like feeling alienated from people. Um, I was also extremely angry. <laughs> so like, um you know, when I found my people, essentially, when I found this kind of like underground world, like I said, I never I never looked back. And um, there was such an animation to the Ron Paul thing, you know, like like people were really passionate. I mean, yes, like like for so like in and, and I was, too. But like I, I live in Pennsylvania. So, like, for example, at the time you had the Occupy movement going on and um, we had a group called Truth, Freedom, Prosperity where essentially we had this crazy survivalist that was a part of our crew. So we had prime real estate at Occupy uh, Philadelphia. We didn't have a tent, though, because we had this crazy survivalist. We had like a build-to-code structure oh with uh, with like kerosene heat in it uh, amongst all of these commies who were there for like Occupy. And then we had Ron Paul signs all plastered on this thing, and we were offering people hot tea to come in and talk about the Federal Reserve. And we had enough people to where we were staffing this thing 24-7. So I would like work during the week and then go and sleep on the streets in the weekends to to, you know, during Occupy to like talk to people about the Federal Reserve and, you know, and and this kind of thing. Um, And it was just a wonderful, wonderful time meeting all these people. And um, I've always wanted that back. I've always wanted that sense of community and and, and electricity back that that I experienced from that. Um, And it's weird because I'm 33 years old now. I'm still young but I'm like a grizzled veteran within the Liberty movement. And so like, I feel bad for these younger uh, people coming into libertarianism or, or related ideas who never got to experience a movement like that, where it was like the media is friggin' terrified of us and we're growing and we're strong and we're united and, you know, and, and this kind of thing. Um, so that's, you know, part of the spirit, I would say of, of what we are attempting to do with the Mises caucus. Nice. Yeah, I was in, I think I was in Iraq when the Occupy movement was occurring. And I remember a lot of my fellow soldiers had like, or yeah, like don't tread on me flags in their, uh, you know, in their houses or whatever. And we were like supporting 
but you being in the middle military you're not allowed to publicly yeah. endorse any type of movement but uh, don't tread on me was actually created back in the 1770s or what you know that during the revolutionary war and so it's uh it makes sense to be applied in against this tyrannical government that we find ourselves under at this point which is like it seems like a shadow government which i'm not sure if i'm using that properly but the fed i feel like the fed is the real power the boogeyman behind our the puppet politicians but i have no idea <laughs> what do you think i mean i think i speak for a lot of libertarians especially those of us coming from like the austrian school and and, and all of that i think um the big thing about Ron Paul was like, if you could sum him up, it's end the Fed and the wars. And it's this understanding of the role that the Fed plays in the economy and how pernicious it is and how it really does feed into a lot of the other problems. Now, you know, right now, a lot of the problems that we focus on as a society are more social and it doesn't necessarily address those problems, but it can. Um, you know, essentially, when you when you create a a cheap credit society, um, and you incentivize people to take out credit that wouldn't otherwise be available to do projects and to create this kind of this pyramid of debt, people are going to make financial decisions and live above their means in a way that they wouldn't do otherwise. And and so it, it's all about incentives and, and incentives are more than just there's social incentives to, to behavior. There's there's uh, psychological incentives, behavior, not just financial. And basically, but if you switch those financial ones, you start to switch up the formula for how people act in other ways. And, you know, I'm going to use the word opulence. And if we start acting more, more opulent when that opulence is built on debt, yeah. you can kind of see how there's cultural degradation that could be associated with all of this that isn't built on any real stable ground. So that when the bills do come due and the house of cards comes falling, uh, car, uh, the house of cards comes falling down, these people are not prepared, you know, because they've been living on credit, they've been living opulent, and I think that's what we're seeing. And I think young people especially are seeing this because it's it, it seems like the cracks in the foundation are really widening for this this younger generation. Say, you know, like I would say, um, um, gen like Gen X and younger, you know, like the the '90s kids and younger. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. It's like a false opulence and they're living on this world where you can manifest reality. If you just meditate, which I've actually done. That's how I, in my, I'm making fun of it, but that's how I kind of created sheath was nice. through, you know, a little bit of magic visual, visual as I, visualization and but a lot of hard work and follow through mm -hmm. you know you can't you have to like put the idea into motion and follow through with your vision you can't just visualize money in your pocket and not do anything about it but it seems like the with free money over the past couple of decades that it's just you know, hard work is no longer uh, as as valuable as it used to be, you know. Um, yeah, but yeah, there's so many, and there's and there's also just with the with the internet age, how people are making money yeah. is dramatically different than it was 20 years ago. Yeah, you know, and the, and the avenues available for people to make money, and and I think even me, just being 33, I don't think I understand all of it. 
You know what I mean? Like you got you got eighteen year old kids with a a, a, a Robin Hood account, or uh, you know, just doing day trading. You know what I mean? And like making money uh, that that was never available for to us. You know what I mean? Right. Or or you could download like these arbitrage apps and just you know, as a kid, and just go to Walmart clearance section. Like, okay, boom, it's being sold for three dollars here. Oh, on Amazon, uh, average price. Here's another app. Average price for this item is eight dollars there. You know what I mean? Like there's just all these avenues that, that, that are available now. So, I mean, and, and I think sometimes we don't, we don't understand it. You know, I'm, I'm still yearning for the days where I go into a business. I say, my name is Michael Heiss. I shake the owner's hand. I would like a job. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? And that's gone. Like that is completely gone. Yeah. Cause now um, you can just go on YouTube and, and I mean, not just, it's not that easy. But to create a, an online personality and you don't really work, you're just talking in front of a camera, which isn't really producing anything, especially when everyone's doing it, myself included, as we're having this conversation. You know, I do it more for fun and to learn and to progress my communication skills um, and learn and meet new people. I've met a lot of really cool people doing yeah. this. So I, I do appreciate you coming on here and and talking to me um and you've built this massive caucus it's a, it's a movement a lot you know it's supported by dave smith the tupac of podcasts <laughs> tupac yeah yeah and he is one of my favorite you know podcasters personalities comedians libertas check that special out yep. that was hilarious um but you've, you know, so you've created this thing, and it's it's up. You it took over the Libertarian Party. Where, what are we doing now? I think you're on tour. Yep. So, so a couple things that we're doing now, because you know, I'm, I'm sure, like talking about the Libertarian Party, that there's going to be some listeners who like roll their eyes, like, oh God, third parties. And 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 I under, and and here's the thing with us as the Mises Caucus, we what we're trying to do with the party is is kind of start really being realistic and honest with ourselves uh, about where the Libertarian Party is as a third party and where third parties are within political reality. Um, you know, I suspect that the average person who isn't you know in the know or who isn't like actively involved, I suspect that the average person they see out of the Libertarian Party or have seen out of the Libertarian Party. They haven't really seen anything out of them. They haven't really heard of them. You know, they'll see them on the ballot for governor or Senate and they'll come in and they'll say these ideas. And then, you know, you know, they can't win. And then they disappear and then reemerge two or four years later to kind of do this again. And it's not serious because it's not building up. It's just shooting for the top and, and, you know, saying how great our ideas are, but they can't win. And we, it's this vicious cycle. So like, we're trying to stop that cycle. <laughs> you know, I mean, like we're, I mean, we don't get me wrong. We still have to run for like for, for ballot access reasons, which I understand is not exactly motivating for the average voter. We still have to run for like governor and president and Senate and stuff like that. But what we're doing, what the, the, the shift that we're making with the libertarian party is to focus much more on local level uh, politics and specifically city council, mayor, school board, uh, judge and sheriff, but really sheriff. mayor, city council, and, and school board, um, okay. because people don't realize how powerful those seats are. Well, and and I, th I think they're starting to realize more and more ever since the the COVID lockdowns. You know, if you if you were living someplace and your sheriff said, "We're not doing this," you know, while the rest of the country was basically declared worthless, you know, or or what was the term they used, uh, non essential. Yes. Um, 
you know, um, you know, you're pretty freaking grateful. You know, um, if if you live in some place where uh, they're pushing gun control and you have a sheriff that's willing to be like, no, we're not doing this. You're pretty grateful, you know, um, right? Because they're not going to come to your house and enforce or whatever these type of new tactics. Correct. Yeah. And 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 so there's there's a political element and a cultural element to what we are doing as the Mises Caucus and, and the direction that we're trying to uh, that we're taking the liber, uh, the Libertarian Party. So like this local level focus is the political element, and it's really all based on the Tenth Amendment of the Constitution and and what's called nullification. Um, now you're in Colorado, you're very very familiar with nullification. You guys have um, nullified several. Uh, federal laws against uh, marijuana and now, um, you know, mushrooms and and uh, uh, other psychedelics. These are Schedule One. These are basic. As far as the feds are concerned, you got like you guys have legalized heroin. <laughs> you know, yeah. um, but you know what? You guys passed this law and in effect have told them, "Fuck you, send the army." You know what yeah. I mean? And yeah. and uh, they don't send the army because it's not practical. Um, and how you're able to do this is that. Really, the Tenth Amendment, well, you got Article One, Section 8 of the Constitution. And that is the section of the, uh, of the Constitution that says the Congress shall have the power to blah, 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 blah. Okay, and it's a very short list of things in, in that section of the Constitution. The Tenth Amendment comes along and basically says the, the feds can only do what is explicitly mentioned in Article One, Section 8. So if it's not there, they don't have the power to do it. When you go off of that standard, there is a lot, a lot of things, the majority of things that the feds have put their fingers into that they have no right to do. Um, you know, we're talking healthcare of any sort, um, education of any sort, gun control of any sort. These are all completely and totally unconstitutional. And so what, what the Tenth Amendment uh, says is that, you know, anything that's not in Article One, Section 8 is left to the states and the people respectively. And in that context, this the people means the localities yeah. so that's why your state was able to decriminalize shrooms and decriminalize and, and, and legalize weed and, and all of this kind of stuff and um however you can do that with a number of things you know you could essentially in your town or, or in your state abolish obamacare you know like you can like you can you can do anything that's not in article one section eight the towns themselves have the ability to do so that all of a sudden makes city council um, you know, there shouldn't be a board of education. So school board, um, and, and, uh, um, mayor extremely powerful. You can actually literally push back against the feds and nullify the federal government from your own community. And these are also when compared to Senate and, and governor and that kind of thing, very winnable races for libertarians. It's pretty much the only races we ever do win. So right. then the question is, is how do we, how do we, organize around that reality, you know, and maximize for that reality. Um, and, and that's what we as the Mises caucus are doing. You know, we've run, um, we've launched what we're calling project decentralized revolution, um, which is, um, you know, there's a couple programs in there, but one of them is recruiting and training people to run for specifically these offices. Um, so we do two trainings a month. We've recruited, uh, over 300 people at this point, uh, to be candidates or campaign managers for such races. And, um, so that's again that's all the political element you know it's yeah. basically run for these races and if you know we're still a libertarian party we're still small so we're not going to be filling up the ballot so if you're in an area where you don't have people running you can still achieve victories on these on these issue realms you know like 
like if you live in a blue town, you know, for example, and you're, you know, you, now in your state, you don't have to worry about this one. But if you live in a blue town and it's run by Democrats and they have not yet decriminalized weed, there's absolutely no reason that you can't go to your city council and lobby them and have legis- sample legislation in hand. Be like, you know, like, here you go. And I've done this in my own town. Me too, actually, with the weed. I was back in 2012, approximately, I was going to local, the malls and just local community areas and getting a, the petition signed to approve the ballot measure to legalize recreational marijuana or whatever. Right. I think it was medical back at the time, but that was a huge win, just getting that one win right. and then... And, and the concept is that you hit the left from the left and you hit the right from the right. So you want to, if you live in a blue town and they're Democrats, so they're supposed to be for civil liberties and this kind of thing, you know, why aren't they passing a ban on the warrantless use of surveillance technology? You know, there's sample legislation for that. You could just come in, speak at city council, you know, and, and try to find some allies and do that. If you live in a red town, you know, rank and file conservatives tend to be pretty serious about their, their second amendment rights, even if their politicians aren't, you know, mm-hmm. so you can come in with a gun sanctuary and say, why, why are we exposing ourselves to federal overreach on gun control in our town when we could just ban it, you know, like, and, 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 you know, so you, you kind of, you, you make the, uh, the gains where you can with, with the reality of the, of the, uh, the demographic is, and I'm of the belief that we as libertarians have not really done enough to gain trust. I think we've got great ideas and we evangelize those ideas. But again, we don't think about things like psychology. We don't think about, you know, why are people not willing to vote for us? I think it's because of this kind of mutual hostage holding and uh, at the, at the higher level. And we as libertarians haven't put the work in at the community level to earn trust from people um, where they perceive the political stakes to the low, to be the lowest. We always go for where they perceive the political stakes to be the highest, and therefore they have the most to lose and the least willingness to, to give something else a shot. Right. Um, and and so I think tr- generating trust by, you know, if we're the ones crossing the aisle going to Republicans and saying, yo, let's let's ban um, uh, gun control, like federal overreach here, or if we are going to Democrats and saying, hey, let's, you know, I think then we can actually open up the conversations. So like, make no mistake, this is a very long-term strategy. But yes. there is no silver bullets. We're not going to elect a savior. It's not going to right. happen. You know, like, yeah. um, like and, Dave Smith. Uh, Everyone wants Dave to run, and I want him to run too because he wears sheath underwear, and I would love to see the president or a pres- presidential candidate wearing sheath. But the reality is that, you know, people, that's where the stakes are so high that people aren't willing to risk it. Kind of like what you were saying, where I think they won't feel like, they can take a chance on a maybe a sheriff or a mayor or a city council or judge and be, see what it's like. Yeah. Yeah. And even see like we could actually win this because it's our small town. The numbers, there's not, you know, hundreds or thousands or millions of people voting. It's our town and we can just get five hundred people to vote for this one dude and then he wins. And then you can see the practical application of these principles put in to play in action yeah yeah in action and that's what your takeover of the mises caucus and these trainings and um like zoom meet yeah how, how are you doing the trainings um, so we're we're, we're covering all our bases here we do two a month over zoom 
and, yeah. and we have like a variety of trainings. We might have people who won the types of races that we're targeting as libertarians do them, uh, doing them. We might have uh, the guys over at the 10th Amendment Center, which is another great organization, um, uh, doing them. We might have the Leadership Institute doing them or the Grassroots Leadership Academy. Like we really try to mix it up and give a full spectrum um, training suite. And uh, in addition to that, you had mentioned the tour. This kind of goes into because yes. everything I just said is one half of the overall strategy. That's the political end. Okay. of the strategy. Yeah. But I don't think any political strategy is going to be viable because again, this is a long-term thing without a cultural strategy that goes along with it, a way of ex expanding our voice into the broader culture while also generating our own community and having our own culture emerge from that community. So there's, there's several things here. Yeah. Um, and so the tour is a way to kind of bring everyone together with this exactly. new... So yeah, what you're talking about is, is we're calling it our tagline for the organization as a whole is take human action. Um, and that's a, that's a play on words of, again, Ludwig von Mises in this book here, human action, nice. um, you know, in, in the Austrian, with the Austrian school of economics, the term human action mean is it's, um, the basis for the entire Austrian school. It's, it's the idea that, um, humans act purposefully. They act in, in, uh, the interest of goals. You know, they act as if they're trying to attain goals. And so you might call that purposeful action. Uh, and that is the basis for all economic activity. It's not formulas. It's not, it's not, uh, you know, treating economics like it's physics. It's literally just people working to attain the goals within certain realities like scarcity, like the fact that they have their own uh, subjective value calculations. So take human action, take purposeful action. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's a play on words. So it's the, the take human action tour. And, um, what this is, is, you know, we're, we're bringing out the biggest voices that, uh, of the Liberty movement to do a six city tour of speaking events across the entire country to talk about, you know, things like war and peace, to talk about Austrian economics, to talk about nullification and decentralization and how this was built into our history. This, this, this was a final check that was left for us to, to stop out of control, uh, federal government. Um, and, and, you know, talk about all other manner of things. So like Dave Smith, for example, is going to be sp speaking at our New York event, which is actually this Saturday, uh, April 1st. Um, nice. you know, he, he'll be speaking there with Tom Woods, Maj Touré, uh, Gene Epstein, uh, Jeff Dice is speaking. Uh, Clint Russell is having a debate on foreign policy with destiny. I've got, um, Ian Crossland from Tim pool is going out to our, our Oakland event. Nice. Um, so yeah, the idea is that all of these speakers, you know, promote, they get their audience out. We promote, we get our audience out. But then I've also been reaching to other organizations that are liberty-based, but not necessarily associated with the Libertarian Party, like the Foundation for Economic Education uh, or Young Americans for Liberty. Invite them to come and table the event for free and just promote it. So you get this like real cross-section audience from the, the wider liberty movement and see if we can't recruit them into the party uh, and recruit them into this strategy. So then you've got the speaking event and then on the Sunday after that, we have completely free to attend trainings, uh, candidate trainings that we're putting on. So we're covering we're covering all of the bases from education, entertainment, um, you know, community building, and and the work training. I, you're doing a great thing, and you, I, I you mentioned these popular speakers, notable you know, liber not necessarily libertarians, but liberty-minded individuals. And I thought of Russell Brand for some reason. And I, he's, you know, he preaches similar, 
philosophies on social issues, I think, when it comes to freedom. Stay free. You know, that's one of his taglines. I guess it doesn't. Smith was just on with him. Oh, that's right. I haven't, I didn't listen to that. I, I haven't listen. yet either. But again, that this is the kind of thing where I'm talking about where like you can't, you might have the, you, you have what you might call the broader culture and then you, then the internal culture. So like these events are, are built around and turning our internal or building our internal culture, getting people together, forming bonds, building our community and having our culture emerge outward from that community. Yeah. Things like Dave going on Russell Brand, though, or the way that he has built relationships with Joe Rogan, right. or, you know, I've personally even been on Tim Pool. There's a lot of libertarians nice. that go on Tim Pool. Yes, um, exactly. You know, kind of building these relationships with people outside of our immediate sphere of influence so that we can have access to these platforms and not just get the word out, but build a narrative around who and what we are as libertarians. Yeah, you know? it gives more social credit when these bigger name kind of... Uh, popular people are speaking on our behalf i guess you know like um yeah just sort of certifying it sort of um publicly like it's it's good I'm not thinking of the right word but legitimizing it yeah legitimizing it thank you and i i charlie kirk is another really big name like but he's super republican and he has that um thing in college campuses like turning point turning point i don't What's know funny is i actually have to call somebody somebody from turning point wants to table our event and i mean i'll take the sponsorship money if they want to do it but um <laughs> it, it, interestingly enough though there's this weird there's this is interesting dynamic I, I think people like charlie kirk are who we as libertarians need to are most urgently have the debates and the arguments with yeah uh and and you might you know, you might say, well, why the hell is that? The left is completely out of control and blah, blah, blah. And, but the reason for that is because us and the right are currently aligned on the left. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like we're, yeah. we're aligned on the fact that the left has, has taken over the institutions. And so I think there's a real big debate on what the hell do we do about this? And, and libertarians, I think are just now starting to find their social footing uh, yeah. because of the decentralization of the media into the podcast era. Um, and, and, um, so we're we're basically need to have these debates with the right on how to respond to the left, yes. and uh, I think that is going to be very interesting as we move forward. Yeah, it'll be a growth, uh, growing exercise, and see where because there's so many things that we all agree on. I think ultimately we all agree on more than we disagree, and they, the overlords or the media, uh, they they pin like pick out these very small details on where we might disagree, whether it's abortion and what, what month is acceptable or gun control. Like we can have this gun, but not that gun. And then they'll pit us against each other on these like kind of minute details rather than finding what we all agree upon agree on you know and i think that's what's good about the liberty movement I, I think a perfect example is like with this shooting that just happened um you know the 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 left is as they always do immediately going for the guns but the right is not exactly killing it on this either you know what i mean i mean i know that there's subsections of the of the right that are doing better than others but you know the right is making this about well they they were a trans radical activist and all of this stuff and and um i'm not denying that that's true but you know the, the 
again, there's a lot of things that are being made out to be political problems that are psychological problems. Uh, it turns out people go nuts. Yeah. Uh, you know, and people of all political backgrounds go nuts. Yes. And, and again, I, I think we're living in a society where we have a crisis in meaning and, and people are replacing the part of themselves that is typically reserved for what, for religion with other things that are, that are very uh, crippled gods, what you might call them, like ideology or, or even social media, like the vanity and the avatar that people put out and the dopamine hit that they get from that, that is replacing this void and it's making people fucking crazy. Like it's, it's, it's really making people crazy. And if you start to look at that, now I, I can't speak for this most recent shooting, but it, among shootings in general, um, mass shootings in general, what you find is a fatherless home and or uh, multiple prescribed psychotropic drugs um and that's never addressed you know it's never addressed and 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 again people are crazy no matter what it doesn't i mean it doesn't really matter that this was a trans radical activist you know and trying to put it on that it, it, i think is only going to further inflame the the political divisions and make the the fight for power uh, that politics is that much more you know uh, uh harrowing and and um so we got to get to the root issues of why are we having this crisis of meaning? Why are, you know, why would somebody take things that far? Why are like, how do we encourage a culture of meaning to where this, this isn't, this isn't as, as uh, prevalent as, as we see it, but nobody wants to have that conversation. You know, they just want to have their political converse, uh, conversations of, well, we've got to go for the guns or, well, the trans radical activists are out of control. And, and no, it's like, okay, yes, we have to have solutions. And I wouldn't say like, you know, I'm partial to arm the teachers, as, but I wouldn't say arm the teachers as much as, well, schools are a public space. If you if you are a gun owner, that is your right. You know, allow the teachers to arm themselves. <laughs> you yeah, know what I mean, is, is where I would go with that. But um, but it, it, and, and we should be able to defend ourselves. But again, it doesn't address the root problems are of why are we having such a a crisis of meaning? Why are we having such a crisis of mental health? you know, why, and, 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 and over-politization of, of all of life, you know, like, why is this happening? And, and that is something that politics cannot, cannot solve, will not solve until we get honest with ourselves about this and, and find that meaning for ourselves. Yeah. I don't think they want to solve it. They want to keep us in turmoil and like fight bickering amongst each other so that they can continue to siphon trillions of dollars out from the economy and do whatever they do. Um, they, I, 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 I believe in like a shadow government and like some Alex Jones shit. And I don't think that what we see is like the reality of who's really in power. So I applaud what you're doing, uh, with the Mises caucus and the libertarian party. Um, thank you for joining me on my little show here the robert Patton global podcast it's available on all the platforms please do subscribe and uh join if i, if I can if i can make one last plug yes um you know if you like what i'm saying if you like the strategy yes. if you um i mean you're interested go to takehumanactiontour.com i'm not even going to ask you i suspect that many people in this audience aren't in the libertarian party yet and you know what i'll let you do that on your own time Instead, go to Take Human Action Tour, see what event is closest to you, and come and check out the community and yes. see if this is something you want to be a part of. Um, and I suspect that if you feel the energy and you feel the passion that our community does have, that you that you will be interested. So TakeHumanActionTour.com. We've got New York, April 1st. 
this Saturday, New York City. We've got Chicago on April 15th. Uh, we've got Nashville, Tennessee on April 22nd. We've got, um, uh, ooh, why am I forgetting? Denver? Not yet. Uh, no, Denver is uh, May 27th. Okay. Uh, Oakland, California is May 22nd. And then Austin, Texas is uh, the end of, of April. Lovely. We have my most of my team is in San Antonio. And if you guys find yourself politically homeless, as Bridget Fetessy would say, this is a great direction. And come check out the community. I've been to some of the events in Denver. Um, a lot of comedian based content also because so it's kind of fun, but it's serious, but fun. And uh, so check it out. Check out the uh, website. Yeah, that, that Denver event will be Tom Woods, um, Maj Torre, Scott Horton, and Ryan McMacken, who is the um, the editor in chief at uh, the Mises Institute. Uh, and then we're also going to have uh, Kevin Matthews, who is the guy who spearheaded the whole psychedelic effort. Ooh, well, that's yeah. You know what? I might. Yeah, we're we're gonna try to make it there. There's an, there's another psychedelic conference in June that we're gonna be attending also through nice. like through maps, I think. But I don't wanna take up any more of your time. I really appreciate you making time in your schedule to sit down and talk. I had a great time. You really nailed a lot of the points I wanted to discuss and I learned a lot more about what you're doing. So appreciate it. The audience appreciates it and takehumanaction.com uh, that's to just sign up for the uh, the the caucus generally if you want to check out the tour it's takehumanactiontour.com takehumanactiontour.com okay well thanks everyone hope you learned something uh, take some human action and we'll see you next time thank you peace